Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. tell you what new york is going down the drain <laughs> literally or figuratively um both mm. i got off the subway yeah and uh there it is open carrying tuba player <laughs> open carry tuba oh man just a guy walking on the subway platform some nerd holding a yeah. tuba eh, band practice and then and then, and then right behind him a guy dressed as a clown this mm. Na- there goes the neighborhood. <laughs> you think they? Do you think they knew that that was like a? They were like friends, or it was just sort of a random encounter. <laughs> it's. I mean, but that's that's the great. That is the great thing about that city is the subway yeah. is the equalizer. It is everybody from every walk of life. You know, it is true. Yeah, and maybe yeah. maybe one day we'll. Uh, we'll be an accepting enough society. Like maybe we'll even let clowns and tuba players like intermarry. Oh my God. I, <laughs> Oh my God. I don't even know how to respond to that. That is interesting setup. I like that though. May- maybe one day clowns can one vote. Day. I don't know. I guess they did. They got, they, they got their, their president, uh, you know, for four years. Zing. Ooh. There it is. Zing, there it yeah. is. <laughs> well, you know, do you hear about this folks? You hear about this? You hear, about this? <laughs> you hear this? You hear about this? Yeah. Um, yeah. Gosh. The, yeah. The, are they, should, I guess these are just all my rejected late night jokes. This is your five minute. You're doing your five minutes now. Um, yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. No, I, you know, the subway, it is a crazy place for sure, but you never know what you're going to get, which sometimes it can be like a really crazy, you know, musical experience. Sometimes mm. it can be low key kind of traumatizing and you just have to kind of power through it. So yeah, public transportation. Right. Like this trip, I think it was pretty, uh, pretty mellow. We had, you know, some, some guys dance, uh, doing a dance routine, uh, on the, uh, the handrails and the, uh, like in the subway, you know, we had a couple of guys doing some, some pole dancing, uh, which is always great. Just, you know, really impressive, uh, muscle. Oh yeah. No, it's, it's a lot of upper body strength. Oh yeah. No, I, yeah, I don't have any of that. But um, we did get to see uh, S.G. Goodman and Ooh. Y. Bonnie. Mm, uh, nice. That's fun. Was, yeah, it was really, really great. Um, and, uh, you know, just it's it's nice to walk the streets of Williamsburg and everybody is you. You're wondering if you're going the right direction. And then you see a bunch of people with cowboy hats and you're like, ah. I think we're going I think we're going the right way. It's like a video game. It's like when you're yeah. like the music gets louder and you're like, I think it's yeah. this way. Or there's more mm-hmm, enemies or mm-hmm. something. Yeah, exactly. I, Williamsburg's in Brooklyn, right? Yes. You know, I've never been there. You've never and been I, to Brooklyn. Wow. I don't think so. No. At least huh. not in Williamsburg, but definitely not in Brooklyn. Yeah. Oh, I know. interesting. It's wild. Yeah, I yeah. know. I don't. I don't get over there too much. I'm mostly just on Manhattan, which is like, mm. it's like fine, you know. But yeah. no, I mean, it's uh, it's definitely. I do feel like we might have slightly missed uh missed like the real brooklyn era you know 
Like you go there now yeah. and it's like right next to the music hall was a Patagonia, you know, out, store. Huh. And uh, people were going in there for an event as well, which was very confusing. Like people are lining up for the show and then right, right. next to us are people going into the Patagonia. But they were like, are you uh, here for the Patagonia pop-up event? And we're like, no, it's <laughs> nine It's nine at night. We're going what? to a concert. <laughs> what? Is what? Why would there be a pop-up event? At, like, I don't know. I mean, I, I get it. Like, I'm sure there's yeah. like granola people who want to go and mm-hmm. get their climb on or something. And I mean, Patagonia but, makes but, some nice stuff. But well, nine yeah, at pa- night? Well, pa- the- you're Patagucci. Right, Patagucci. How can I forget? Yes. Mm-hmm. It is nice. Yeah, that that was that was interesting uh, as Weird. well. Just, but yeah, you know, you walk down, you you do walk down the street, and down one way is like a bunch of you know cool looking stuff, old buildings, neat little coffee shops, and then you know you go uh, one over, and you know it's a Bath and Body Works, and you're right. like, oh, okay, hmm. you know, it's gentrification, man, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It is. It is. <laughs> But that that's just that's just part of New York. Everything's always changing. Uh, you know, yeah. you know, in with one thing, out with another, uh, for better or for worse. That looks somewhat prescient to what we're talking about today. How's that for a segue? That's a nice segue. Yeah, I think it blends in pretty well, especially in New York being one of the most. I think it is literally the most multicultural center in the world. I'm pretty sure, mm. unless mm-hmm. that's the uh, the American in me talking, but I'm pretty sure it is. Um, which is a nice. So segue. many different types of cowboy hats. <laughs> I think that's just Austin. You know, Austin. <laughs> you Texas. know what? Actually, you're right. <laughs> S- I okay. If I can say one more thing about S. G. Goodman, yeah, first yeah. of all, great performer. If I hadn't said that already, but the other funny thing about she. She is so funny. Like oh, nice. normally I don't like when performers talk too much, but she's right. legitimately really funny. Oh, that's songs. fun. She nice. just constantly reiterates who she is. <laughs> I uh, like that. She's like, this is my band. I'm SG Goodman. We're now going to play another song <laughs> by me. I'm SG Goodman. Yep, Hit it, boys. That is great, actually. (laughs) It's really about building a brand, and you have to constantly say the brand Mm -hmm. that you're a part of. Yeah. Um, Well, she, she, you know, she's from uh, Kentucky, and she was like, back down where I'm from, there's a lot of talk about cultural appropriation, but I do got to say, most cultural appropriation I've seen is right here in this room right now. Y'all are dressed like us. Mm, calling yeah. them out. There you go. Yeah, that's yeah. nice. That's good. But that, but you know, she won them back by saying, "I'm S.G. Goodman." <laughs> this is a and oh, she she so seriously funny. started one song by saying like, uh, "Tyler Childish covered this song by me, but it's a song by me." I'm S.G. S.G. Goodman. <laughs> We're gonna play it now. I'm S.G. Goodman. Do you think it's a bit? It's got to be a bit, right? I, I, it it has to be, but that's very funny. She, but oh she, my God. she, I, she doesn't crack. She says it completely mm. straight faced. Okay, wow. She's she's committed to the bit. that is that's that is commitment. Oh mm-hmm, man, mm-hmm. yeah. Yes. But um, yeah. I guess speaking of announcing your name to everybody, um, <laughs> <laughs> or how to communicate. Mm. Uh, welcome, welcome to the Uncanny County Museum, everybody. Yes, of course. Welcome, welcome. Uh, today we're going to be visiting uh, one of our. Uh, let's talk about halls here, but it is our Hall of Extinct Languages, 
or and also into the passing of languages that are on the brink of language death, which mm. really is going to set the stage for what I wanted to talk about and bring to the museum today, which is talking about um, a lot of the information that was out of the book Languages Die, which is by K. David Harrison. And essentially, this book was written in 2007 and was documenting this point of uh, Harrison's research, which was about uh, a few different case studies of languages out in, and which we'll, I'll mention some of them here, but a lot in Siberia, East Asia, and um, indigenous American cultures too, or languages. And really, his research was concerned with what information is being lost when these ind- indigenous languages go extinct and also what is the res- what what can we learn from smaller languages or languages that often go overlooked versus those versus our more like conglomerate ones that are now kind of taking the the, the forefront in in culture and society and how we communicate so before mm. we even get into looking at some of the languages mentioned in the novel and in, in the book and the research but also in some that I brought to our uh, hall here today uh, firstly, I feel like it's it's worth pointing out too how language in particular is probably the most complex creative tool that humanity's ever created in the sense that it allows us to communicate with each other. It allows us to oh, exchange mm-hmm. ideas. It allows us to uh, collaborate and communicate, as I said, but also then, um, on, you know, establish recognition in terms of like cultures and things like that right i mean it stems very far back it's has so many different um versions of itself and i feel like we also often forget those those of us who speak primarily one language that there are different languages out there and within different languages there's different customs there's different cultural aspects and there's different words that mean things that we can't necessarily convey in our own native languages which Mm -hmm. i think is very interesting and Honestly, pretty important, especially in today's world when a lot of things are becoming very, you know, homogenized or grouped in, that it can be thought in a way that having a unified and and we're going to definitely break this down as we continue, I think, uh, from from what we talk about. But I think that, you know, when you have a unified language group, it offers a lot of pros, but it also offers a lot of cons, especially in the way of how we um, process different information. So yes. with that being I have I have no way of agreeing or disagreeing <laughs> without using language. So I think I'll exactly. have to I think I am forced to agree that language is important. Language is important. You hear this? Are you seeing this? Uh, like, <laughs> no, it's, I well, think we can I guess, all agree. I guess, I guess you've got to be hearing it. Absolutely. But it is it is important because well, it's also this thing like even in the book and it's something I didn't know like or I don't really think about it. But like so when we all have heard babies babble, right? When it's, you know, they're getting used to talking, they're work, they're mimicking us and in a way of trying to learn the language. At yes, that they're, stage, bu- they're building a tower uh, in defiance <laughs> of God. Okay. Yes. <laughs> oh, man. I like that. What's also happening in the stage of when you learn your language as like a toddler and an infant, that you're forming even the way your tongue is hitting the roof of your mouth and making the shapes of the words that you're saying because it is just sound. Language is just sound mm-hmm. at the end of the day, right? We're making, or I mean, we can get into sign language is a bit different, but it is really in the terms of vocalized language. It's about making sounds and having those sounds be recognizable and communicatable so then it forms our language group. I'm simplifying this down. I'm not a linguist. I'm just a linguist enthusiast, let's say, or a language <laughs> enthusiast. I just find it really interesting, especially the fact that 
you know, once you start thinking in a different language or recognizing a different language, a lot of what comes with that is a different way of thinking about the world, a different way of thinking in general, in many cases, even computing and thinking about the um, areas around you, which I'll bring up in some case studies here. But it is just a very fascinating thing. And which is why it's really scary when we start to think about how many languages have gone extinct both recently and throughout history and with all of the information that has been lost which was in in um which was said in those in those languages so to give an example like in the in the um in the book the one of the case studies that uh Harrison brings up a lot is of the um I believe it's the Tofa people who are uh, reindeer herders primarily, and mm -hmm. a lot of their, which their language is, is is it's not extinct, but it's greatly um, endangered with only probably forty speakers left between ninety three and forty, and that was oh. in two thousand and ten, so thirteen years ago. So, and we'll get into some of the reasons why Siberian languages were affected really greatly, but um, within their language grouping, they were primarily or and are. Well, not as much anymore, unfortunately, but they were uh, reindeer herders. So a lot of their language is has, has a lot of words that pertain to reindeer and herding. And there's herder. Her, I parallel my her, her her language is endangered. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I I can, I can feel you just grinding up. Like, did you say? <laughs> did you? This was awful because we were in a Home Depot, and that is a minefield. Oh like, yeah, <laughs> sander. Just like every tool oh that ends God. in er. Yeah. Oh yeah. gosh, you just yeah. have to hold it. But in. yeah, herder. We barely speak no. spoken to her. Exactly. Language is endangered. Yeah, barely know her. Um, but no, it, well, it's it's just interesting because a lot of the customs and words and ways of like conveying information can be done in specific words that are um native to the Tofa language and for us or even in Russian, so like in English or in Russian, to convey the same amount of meaning would have to be like a sentence. So what we start to see is like in specific languages pertaining to a lot of indigenous groups or areas where um, people are still even connected to their own land or their livelihoods, that a lot of the cultural information can be packaged in just words and it can be mm -hmm. one word. It doesn't even need to be sentences. Uh, a, a good way of comparing this to something like English, which is a lot more neutral and harder for this to happen, was like mm -hmm. the use of foal, meaning like a baby horse. You don't have to say baby mm -hmm. horse, you just say foal. You know what I mean? But like you wouldn't say right. baby human because it's a baby. So it's sort of just like, it's 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 packaging yeah. words like that as things get smaller and smaller and easier and easier. So again, it's just, it's these languages in particular, and there's so many of course mm -hmm. out there, which I'll be naming if some, um, contain their own stories and histories within them that cannot be translated. And especially as there's fewer and fewer speakers, we mm -hmm. may lose a lot of that history that's remaining in the language. Right. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's a tremendous amount of anxiety in all of that, but I think with a lot of languages, because they are utilitarian uh, in, in maybe their most basic form, there's, I guess people are looking for some sort of motivation to learn a language because it's also difficult, you know? It's, it's incredibly not, difficult. It's not something that people usually do unless they are extremely passionate about it or it is a, it is a part of daily life, you know? And 
and I guess that that ultimately is the challenge that a lot of endangered languages sort of face is like yeah. if there's not necessarily an impetus to use something, then it tends to uh, fall away unless it has mm-hmm. a, a particular niche there. And yeah, I, I, I mean, that's it's yeah, it, it is uh Fig- figuring out what are what are practical ways to to preserve something like that, right? And and a lot of what this this book was pertaining to, which I thought was interesting, was one spreading awareness to you know non linguists mm-hmm. like you and I yeah. who are interested in history and culture but are not going to be able to document any of this because language isn't necessarily our talent, um, mm-hmm. but also. To, to beg, a sense, the or to really bring awareness for even the research communities to spend time documenting languages. Those who are focused on the research to actually spend time documenting these more um, less spoken languages before they're gone versus those that are mostly spoken, which it wasn't like a division of labor. It was more of like, we need to get these down. A lot of the, um, this was written in 2007, as I, I think I mentioned, but a lot of the metaphor he was bringing out in the beginning was rooted a lot of like how, you know, when people will say like, wow, the cure to, the cure to cancer might be out in the Amazon. So we need to like find the right plant mm. or whatever. Like you know how that got thrown around a lot, and it still kind of does. Yeah, um, yeah. Like it's, like that 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 there was some sort of practical reasoning that you could get people on board with environmentalism yeah. because it'll be good for the economy in the long exactly. run. Exactly. And, and I I understand that in terms of like trying to get people to care but also yeah no there's yeah. there's things that deserve to exist on their own merits well, and and what i liked when he kind of used that and then curved it a sense was that it's it's one thing to find the plant that can cure the cancer but how do you know it can actually do that unless you have the cultural knowledge to do so which mm-hmm. is a lot like what i talked about with um when I bring up like, you know, the secret to our success or any of Joseph Heinrich's books when we're talking about cultural evolution, right? So the mm-hmm. information is in the people and the people speak a specific language. And if you don't have that language anymore, we don't have the specific knowledge to, unless it was translated, which it rarely is, to perhaps help in certain, um, you know, facilitations of agriculture or knowledge of the weather patterns or of an area, you know, things like that which I think is one of the interesting um, parts of these, of these sort of um, of these smaller language groups, let's say these languages that are on the brink of extinction, because Mm -hmm. again, there's, there's a lot of things that just get lost in translation as we know. Um, But unfortunately Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. one of the major, and this was something I didn't really think about too much and it might just be because it doesn't really affect us as greatly, but language in general, just like a lot of things is, it's a tool, as we know, yeah. right? It's a way of communicating, but it gets changed. And the reason so many languages go extinct and also some just become obsolete from said mm-hmm. people, which is a shame, but it does happen yeah. a lot. Um, when another neighboring country becomes either more powerful or they become more popular or they're just sort of becoming the norm, yeah, that tends to lead people to then speak that language as mm-hmm. their primary for so many right. reasons. We don't necessarily have to attack that for it, right? It's it's again, mm-hmm. it's a communicative way of going about daily life, which means if you are, you know, if 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 England or if it's of America or Russia are your neighbors and they're taking over, you tend to right. be either forcibly 
made to speak that language or you will adopt it. Now, in European countries, we see this happen. We also saw this happen in a lot of East Asian countries where like Mongolian, for instance, becomes the norm versus Tuvan or versus some other Turkic languages. Uh, same thing in Nepal, same thing in India, which has so many, so many languages. Which right, but actually- you, but you, you can also see this in in China as well, where yes. you know if it's the, uh, it, it, I I don't know a ton about this history. The little snippets I do know, it's very interesting. But there's there are a lot of interesting things that people study just with the different languages within China, based on which uh, empire or dynasty is in charge. Like the 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 Manchus, yeah. Con- continuing to speak their own language and not necessarily uh, disseminating that out to the rest of the the Han Chinese, uh, right? Sort sort of keeping it the language of power and not putting it outward, but also not letting themselves get completely absorbed by the Han. Like right, there's there's, there's sometimes important political distinctions between who does and does not speak a language yeah absolutely absolutely it definitely has power in that way and and it is very fascinating for sure Mm -hmm. but like one of the things that was mentioned and this is because his his research is based a lot in siberia that Mm -hmm. like you know we see this happen with america and colonization of course right after the english and french colonize and america becomes its thing and then Mm -hmm. pushes out all indigenous peoples and we start to lose all of those languages in Russia, the same thing happens under the Soviets, where, you know, for for even though the message may or may not be good, depending on, you know, how you look at it, I guess, um, the idea of a unified people yeah. then being pushed with one unified language is pretty much the direct cause of, like, where a lot of these Siberian uh, indigenous languages have disappeared because a lot of those people were also shipped off to boarding schools, were also forcibly taught Russian as a primary language and not, you know, their language, like whether it was Uz or, or Uz or Tuvan or Vogel or any of these, like, these smaller, very localized language groupings that have their own information right. to them. Same thing happens with Sami up in, in, in uh, mm-hmm. Norway and Finland and Sweden. You know, it, it's... It's a part of that colonization that for sure is a factor here. And I want to make that very clear. Yeah. But there are other times where, again, this just happens based on the this this push of like, okay, well, we need we need something that everybody can speak to be able to communicate with everybody. India's for sure going through right. this again post-colonization. Well, it, it's, but. It, it's especially with a, a big diverse, big diverse countries like any of these, part of their whole thing is like not not necessarily always it it becomes malicious as it be, as it gets disseminated out but you could also see a bunch of people sitting in a boardroom being like we need to 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 build our infrastructure we need to make sure that people at one end speak the same language as people at the other and right. just signing some paperwork and passing it on to the next person and i, I think that that is a, a, a framework to view a lot of, you know, the, 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 I don't know, the, that, that homogenization. Like yeah. I, I do, I do feel like, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm naive and uh, a lot of that stuff, but I, that is how I picture a lot of these things of, yeah, like a, a big project like the Soviet Union where you're trying to, you know, if for, 
you know, maybe with some good intentions at, at, at certain levels, but also like trying to install a, a unified government across such a huge surface area, you're like, yeah, we need everyone speaking the same language to make this work. Or at least that was that was their presumption, along with maybe some other presumptions that weren't entirely correct. Um, yeah. Uh, and uh, I mean, at least in China, uh, hatred of sparrows, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, not a good move. <laughs> well, it's it's a lot of it's yeah, I, I think you have the the positive side of it, let's say. You you're you're mm-hmm. going for the more bureaucratic like we need to work together so let's figure this out language-wise, which mm-hmm. I think is is a factor. 100% has mm-hmm. to be, you know. Yeah. Um but I do think there's a lot there's a prejudice side there for oh, certainly. sure. For sure. Well, yeah, I mean, well b- baked into that baked into that is an assumption that your way is the best. Well, yes, exactly. And something I kind of wanted to pivot towards a little bit too is even like the information that's contained within different ways of speaking, right? So because we're we're both communicating right now in English and our audience, all of you out here are listening to us in English, presumably English either being your first or second language, and you have that context to be able to understand what we are saying. Without that, probably wouldn't be able to pick up on this audio-only format. Be very difficult in a tour, right? Right. Yeah. So, un- unless, yeah, unless you have a you have a, a translator right yeah. there. Who, yeah. We, or we you know, you're we, getting the text or something. We can make it work. <laughs> we we have those like the the you know the the visuals for it. We can. How's make it that? Work. How's that AI bot that translates everything uh, we're saying going? Yeah, I know. We're working on it. The boys in the yeah. in R and D are working as, on as it. if as if you know some robot could possibly distill all the subtleties <sighs> of our conversations. Exactly, exactly. It's impossible, uh, or maybe not. I don't know. Science is getting scary. But mm-hmm. one of the things I thought was interesting was like even the way that date. Actually, this kind of throws it back a little bit to what we were talking about with time and calendars. Um, mm-hmm. Even the way that different cultures who speaking different languages understand. Or, or or go about using time is mm-hmm. very interesting to me and was something that was brought up like there, even with like who uses a lunar cycle versus our more, um, I don't know what it's called, but I'm sure you do, like the way that the planetary calendar, whatever we use to de- to calculate 365.254 or whatever it is. I mean, um, I guess uh, you could say a solar calendar. Okay, yeah. Um, I, I don't want to say something wrong, but I think, yeah, solar calendar like that, because that's sort of been the, the use of, um, we've, we've created a globalized or westernized, whatever you want to call it, system to have everybody be on the same page so we know when to go to work, right? And it works, and it's fine, but it's it requires a lot of calculating to figure out what's going to be mm-hmm. what. Whereas a lot of other cultures would use like lunar cycles, which this also dates back pretty far. Like even finding a, right. a bone, an Eagle's bone, I believe with um, lunar cycles carved into it from like almost 40,000 years ago, which I think is really mm-hmm. interesting that this, that becomes a more natural way to go about counting and time in particular. But different languages, depending on where they adapt to, like even the Tuvan, for example, um, will lend themselves because again this is an evolutionary thing cultural evolution this is gained over time and history of people being in the same place for a very long time their language will then adapt to the environment that they're situated in and lend themselves to be useful in that environment so when in the tuvan language for example you know they are primarily yak herders and nomadic people so they're positioned um in 
Si it's towards the east of Siberia, right on the border of uh, Mongolia. So they're like right they're still in Siberia, but they're right on that border of Mongolia, so they're in that region. Since they are yak herders in an area that is very open but mountainous, so it's very like steps kind of based. A lot of not only their cultural customs are based in in paying attention to sounds and hearing things, but they also mimic sounds that they hear so like mm. it's very normal in their language to like mimic the sounds of animals if they're talking about the animals or to use it in storytelling and it's it's due to this attention to um sounds around them and because of the need of like echoes and things vibrating off the mountains but they have a very um in, there's ambience and ambient qualities and not only music but also sound and, and vocalization are very very important to them and they are also very famous for throat singing or, uh, you know, so which is very much that type of recognizing of sound quality mm -hmm. of the ambience of sound and how the voice can shape. And so from them, even that's how they pass down a lot of their uh, stories and, and cultural histories, which is very interesting. But a lot of that custom is based on their environment and so much so that even when they navigate areas, because one of the things that the book was pointing out is that a lot of nomadic peoples don't get lost, but they don't write anything down, right? So most of these languages mm -hmm. are non, um, they're not, they're not written, they're oral. And a lot of the traditions are passed down orally. So it's, it's through what, what Harrison really comes down to explaining this as is that um, it's, it's really down to memorization of areas that one is traveling constantly and being told stories about and having these myths that are embedded in the landscape and recognizing topology as like different creatures or figures as a way to remember them doing that has aided in the ability to pattern recognize what is around you so that way you know at all times where you're at it always lets you orient yourself rather than needing a map or rather than needing some sort of written out features that says okay i am in coordinate bop 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 i am here rather you just know because you've memorized these like land areas and these surrounding spots to them hmm right okay it's kind of okay. interesting yeah yeah so so it's, it's uh it's sort of like um uh like the the idea of of maybe like native architecture that you know we build in different places based on or we at least used to build in different places based on uh you know what best worked for the geography of a place and, yeah, but as technology has proliferated out, things like air conditioning and central heating and stuff like that, we've maybe stopped building in those ways because it's at least cheaper upfront to build things that you yeah. know you can just plop an AC on, and now everything just looks like a cube. Well, yeah, exactly. It's that like we've taken up a much bigger footprint too because of those advances, right? So it's instead of just sort of fitting in our niche. And carving out an existence wherever it's more of like spreading mm -hmm. out and doing these more yeah urban kind of yeah the gentrification building I don't know how else yeah. to call it do you know you know what I mean the cube yeah uh, yeah but, well but, the, the, the nowadays I I think the I think the architectural term is five over one is like that's the it very, yeah 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 which Ugh. which itself is not necessarily inherently a bad thing but there's a lot of questionable building practices and slum lords and and all sorts of stuff like that i do also yeah. i here's maybe a way to 
can can I take a stab at this also as yeah. um because I I do think uh, a lot of this gets framed as other languages good and pure and beautiful English bad I feel like is what some people take away from that type of stuff and right I. And I can understand that, especially from the the, the context of uh, colonization, and uh, you know, trying to trying to rethink what we what we think is normal and what we think is other. I think also we're putting things on a singular language that have never really ever been expected of a singular language before. The idea that, uh, of course, this language isn't one language is not going to serve everyone in every situation and every purpose, because I don't think that's ever been, uh, I, I don't think that's, necess- I think that's kind of unprecedented. I don't think you've ever, uh, be- because every language is, is a product of where it is coming from. Uh, so I don't know. There's, there's the the you know like the whole thing that people talk about with chai tea right that it's <laughs> redundant uh, yeah redundant yes however you and I are speaking English right now and you understood the distinction that if I said tea I probably mean black tea and if I said chai tea you know what I'm referring to yes yeah right. uh, and I enjoy linguistic things like that. But at the end of the day, the point of language is just to be understood. And if you are being understood, then you've achieved it. There's not necess- there's not necessarily um law to grammar as much as there is a a need to be understood and that is the criteria. And I think languages can accomplish that in different ways. So it's, it's, I, I don't, this is to just say, I don't think that there's things necessarily inherently wrong with, uh, the, the languages that have, uh, that reflect cultures that have become dominant in the world as much as there is a, uh, there is a, we, we are seeing the byproducts and, uh, we are seeing the byproduct of a few, cultures becoming dominant and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. taking over the yeah. world. You know? Yeah, yeah. I don't want to put it as that romantic view either where Yeah, cuz then yeah. you you get into noble savage stuff. Yeah, and that's quick, not, you know. Yeah, and I, and, or and like our yeah, right, right. or how the the whole thing of like, you know, the Inuit have 20 words for snow or I whatever. Knew, yeah. And it's yeah. like, okay, yeah, that's not you, really the point. Um Yeah. Well, you know, the I, Ita- the Italians have 100 different words for pasta. They do. I have no idea, but they might. But <laughs> no, well, like it's it's it's. If I can split this into like two things, right? Mm-hmm. When we're referring to this, so I think when languages die, mm-hmm. we lose cultural information. Mm-hmm. We lose information about the past. We lose information mm-hmm. about ways moving forward, and we move. We lose information about a group of people, yeah. and we lose that information because without it being said in their own language system, the way that they think, the way that this information is contained, that it gets retranslated and re 
um, if we even can get it, right, what they were thinking about. And it doesn't quite sit the same because not everything will translate perfectly into English. Not everything will translate perfectly into really any language. It usually is best understood yeah. in their language and hopefully somebody who's a talented linguist can do the research to figure out how to actually, with those people, and it's always usually with a, a, a bilingual speaker, to retranslate something. Right. And this is even in the case of like um, being able to trace languages back you know, mm -hmm. years and years and years through genetics and research and DNA and being able to figure out like which group of peoples are related to others to know this information. But, mm -hmm. you know, so, so I think that's one part here that I want to bring up and why I think it's important that we don't let certain, we don't let any language really go extinct, but maybe I'm also, um, because I'm somebody that's really interested in understanding the past and I really want to preserve, um, you know, different cultures in this way. Now on the second view, well, actually, Expanding on that a little bit too, I think a while ago we talked about, um, I think we were talking about like Apocalypse or Cyberpunk or something like that. And I was bringing up when I was pay playing uh, Cyberpunk 2077, which is not, it's fine. But you know, um, the, <laughs> in that world, in this sci-fi world, it's like different cities in the US that are not speaking one language. They are all speaking different languages. And it mm -hmm. posed the future. And it, this got me thinking more of a different way versus whatever the game was left off at where the world at that in the 2000s i feel like was framed as we are going to speak one language that'll be universal because it'll be useful for us all to communicate whether that was going to be english mm -hmm. or chinese it goes either way um mm -hmm. and both with their own very weird political things around them um yeah but i like to think that a good way moving forward is to have multi-languages around us because it encourages mm -hmm. different ways to think it encourages different creative ways of how we process information and it builds up different, again, identities and cultural identities and how we can learn from each other in this way. Human beings have been around multiple languages forever, right? Different tribes mm -hmm. growing out of different languages, even if they're only split apart by like a valley or a mountain. And I think that's a very important um, part of us and it's in, it, it, it's something important to, to keep moving forward and to recognize those languages, especially ones that are on the brink of extinction. Now, mm -hmm. that being said, right, without, again, that not getting into English bad, this good, this whatever has to be the mainstream, it's more of just recognizing language as a system of communication, just like we would the histories of people or, you know, even with extinct animals and things like that. Basically, preserving information of the past, our window in. Yeah. Now, moving into the second point, I think even with English, we'll focus on that since we both speak it, it has mm -hmm. so many avenues of intricacy to it that forms like its own different sub languages within that as well. Like yeah. even getting into grammar and I had a teacher talk about with this myth me and I really resonated with it where like the way that we have to write in like professional papers or artistic papers or written papers, you know, it's mm -hmm. like a very specific way of using grammar and syntax and, and wordings that is kind of limiting Whereas even the way that we talk, because it's constantly changing every single year as we add new vocabulary, riz, for example, I could say riz, and if you're up with the times, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And if you don't, that's short for charisma. Or right? you're listening to this uh, two years from <laughs> Yeah, now and it's dated. When... It's, it's dated, exactly. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, yeah. I can't believe you would say that. But it's like we're constantly adding mm -hmm. words and changing things in language, and there's constantly different vernaculars and sub-dialects and ways of speaking that are added to it. And I think that's what kind of makes English 
interesting to me because mm-hmm. you know we're we're stemming out of Britain, right? Everything's coming out of this this like very English way of talking, and you know even 1500s English we would not understand now because it sounded very yeah. different. But then even like just accents and ways of speaking in England is completely different than the way we speak but, in America and different places. So even even leaving American vernacular off the table and just talking about English as it is, English always was kind of at least modern yeah. English was always stratified because yeah. the ruling class uh would have spoken Latin and or French. Right. And the lower classes spoke Germanic English. Every right. everything in English is, is, and we've talked about this before. Is when when you need to be, uh, you know, precise or have a a certain, um, uh, you know, more uh, the the idea of heightened, yeah, something being heightened. You will use your Latin vocabulary, and when something is more casual. Uh, then you are using Germanic words. That is, mm. that has always been a a component of modern English, uh, and I mean modern as in you know going back a couple yeah. hundred years, uh, a few hundred years. Like so, I think the you know, and there's there's other things that have just come from the fact that English then was taken all over the world with the English or sorry the British Empire. Um, uh, or if, I mean, if we're being real, the English, Empire. the English, yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but as as English gets carried out everywhere, it's going to pick up the vocabulary of of those other places as well. But you know, it always had that layer to it that there there's so much that um, uh, a word choice has always. Word choice has always just been a big component of it, of what you are trying to imply rather than the contextual use of a single word, like in something like Spanish or Italian, where the vocabulary is vastly smaller and a lot of words get reused and you're just sort of expected to understand based on context. Whereas I think that dry academic writing that Mm -hmm. we are expected to use in a lot of English, uh, you know, law and, you know, papers and all sorts of things. Yeah. That is meant to get around uh, potential, potentially misconstruing what was meant uh, and to to avoid, to try and avoid vernacular meaning that could change. But, you know, like we argue about stuff in the Constitution and it's only, you know, uh, 200 plus years old. You know, it's. (laughs) Well, um, yeah. And and we we you know we already have some distance to to the use of of that, right? You know. But but I also think like bureaucratic language is its own thing in and of itself. Mm-hmm. Like language Certainly. written up to establish rules has to be, uh, I guess, separate from the way we're because com- it's communicating right. something that right. is set up in its own. I, I I am not a lawyer. I don't know anything I about guess, this, but yeah. you know what I mean? That it is just yeah. like, it's its own kind of thing, just like mm-hmm. academic papers are their own kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't, because if you were to write a scientific paper and mm-hmm. try to bring in some like folk biology and science that wasn't mm-hmm. really backed up, um, yeah. it's going to cause some issues. And sometimes, sometimes the folk biology is right. Sometimes it just is. There's just things that culture knows better than Western science. There's also a lot of like not great 
stuff that comes out of people who mm. aren't scientists but add doctor to their name or like you know claim <laughs> that a certain um pill that was over the counter will cure a certain disease if you buy it and it doesn't or just or, like, or just, you know chi- I mean? or just chi- chiropractors in general i know oh yeah um, <laughs> yeah uh I, but like uh, like yeah. okay so like where does this come in because like a lot of this stuff's it, it, this is very interesting and i mm-hmm. do like the um i i definitely uh i like the idea that certain things are certain languages lend themselves to communicating certain ideas and things you know and this is this is something that you and i have talked about about italian it's something that like i've always read about and grown and 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 grown up hearing about you know the 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 way that yiddish used to be used uh right. you know cuz if you spoke yiddish you probably also had to speak another language like just you know that's that's yes. the nature yeah. that that was the nature of it and and I, I do like I will read Shalom Alechem and feel like, oh, I'm missing something here, like because I'm reading a translation or right. when, when I was reading um, Fifth Son by Camilla Townsend, one of the one of the big uh, motivators uh, that came about um, uh, in within Mexico to preserve uh, the Aztec, you know, codices and all of that was an older man recounting, you know, the, the history of the Mexica to a younger person that spoke the language, but spoke Spanish first. Right. And he's recounting all of these things and he tells a joke and the younger man does not understand the joke. Right. Uh, and, and like, that was like the, the beginning of the anxiety of losing what was what was seemed to at the time to be slipping away and, and thankfully yeah. people still speak Nahuatl and and the and other Mexico languages but um that uh but but there are, I, I I what I'm what I'm trying to say is I I understand that there are all of these things that we could potentially miss just by being like oh we'll just translate everything and that and that'll save all the meaning and we, we can recognize that it does not. The other thing that I'm, I'm curious about though, with this, with this book, considering the time it was read, yeah. does it do anything to talk about like another one of those, like kind of pop science things that I'm remembering from the early two thousands that was like, Oh, you know, the, the, the Chinese are better at math because their, their language just lends itself so good to math. And I remember, I, yeah. I I feel like I still was hearing people say it, that in college. And I was like, I don't know enough about this, but that sounds a little, they, I don't, I, okay, I don't want to so, just say, I don't want to just say racist. It's got questionable undertones. Let's do, say is that. There, I guess yeah. I'm, I, th- this is a very long way of saying like, yes, I understand there are different, there are things that we miss in translation. Uh, but like, I am slightly skeptical of people that make really big claims such as that. Yeah, if I, so, okay. So there is a section in here where he's talking about math and I kind of checked out because mm-hmm. I don't understand, like, as soon as we get into mathematics, I get confused. But I was paying, I was, I was reading it, and I was curious, and I didn't know, I didn't know about that necessarily until I was reading it here and was like, okay, this is interesting. Um, 
I think the point that was made, it wasn't like that they're better at math or anything like that and in very kind of questionable racist undertones. It was more, and, and maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. I want to just make that clear because this is written in a different time. Um, it was more that one of the things that was brought up was essentially how like children and, and, and babies in general have, doesn't matter the language, doesn't matter the culture, have the innate ability to count. They just mm. do. We all do. We just come packaged that way. It has to do with, I think, like genetic evolution or cultural evolution, something like that, where we, because I think it's really just due to pattern recognition. So, right. That's, so, I, I, I can accept that yeah. that is, that is pretty ingrained in us. Yes. So building off of that, I believe what was posed was something to do with how like Chinese has a different numbering system than english or in any other languages and it lends itself to be easier to start counting or to start working into the numbers that way and every language system does they count differently so like mm -hmm. certain ones would use certain smaller languages like couldn't count to uh, a thousand or there was no word for it or couldn't count past three but they would use like the same number over and over to kind of make up for that or like they would use different tools like stick stones object everyday objects as me like counting measurements as a way to kind right. of process okay, so, it so it, it's watership so, down what was what what it's watership down logic what was the i don't know i didn't read watership down i just know there were rabbits and it was traumatizing yes uh the rabbits can only <laughs> count to four um oh okay and every, it's one two three four a thousand and even when they, when they want to refer to five, they refer to it as the smallest thousand. Okay, yeah. So kind of that, yeah, that kind of logic. And then that, this isn't with Chinese. This is specifically with like other languages too, just as a generalization. Right. Um. So I think that was sort of the case being made. And it wasn't, this mm. does not spend a long time on that, but it, it is that kind of pop science-y that's kind of brought up. Mm -hmm. Like for me, I'm doing a lot of like, note correction as i'm reading some of these passages because again like within the weirdest people in the world 2020 that came out that's corrected a few of these things like when it comes to the cultural evolution and like how uh -huh. how stuff is retained and why and you know why the western language is the way it, like why english is the way it is why the west is the way it is um it kind of gets into more of the the, the psychology about that which mm -hmm. this is laying out that groundwork pretty early um, I also think the experience machine by Andy Clark, as I've mentioned a few times, like that idea of predictive processing lends itself a lot to language and why we get tier. So yeah, it's got, I, 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 I wish I was better at explaining math and numbers and the counting system linguistically. Unfortunately, I barely understand it. So, hmm. um, it, but it does have some of that in here, which is why I think <laughs> it's always important to be, you know, mindful of these things. But I do think there is, you know, some kind of valid criticisms of like even just Western modes of scientific study and method. Yeah. Um, which I think we could, well, I don't know, maybe more me than you, because I know you've been in this environment a lot longer and just know mm. it better. But I do think there's something to like, okay. So one of the parts that they were talking about too, which was in like naming in particular and how things get named was also talking about like folk taxon ta folk taxonomies versus like more of our um, the, the method that's used today with like Linnaeus's method, right? Mm, yes, 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 yes. I was hoping we'd talk about. So this. one of the the examples was how like um like with uh, James, Captain James Cook going out and they found his his crew off the coast of Hawaii ended up finding a um you know type of fish, thought it looked cool, and they called it the Moorish idol, 
That was the name that was like given. Uh, mm -hmm. But then, of course, though, Native Hawaiians already knew about this fish, already had it documented down, mm -hmm. and called it the kihikihi, I believe is the name, um, mm -hmm. which meant both crescent shape and to sail in a zigzag fashion, which quite accurately actually describes this fish uh -huh. quite well versus yes. the uh, first one. So it's this, really what this whole, that whole area was talking about was that with people who have lived in these in areas around the world for thousands of years, thousands, thousands of years, there has been a way of documenting what animals are what based on their own folk names, folk history, things like that, versus this more Western European idea of we need to go out and document everything and be the first to have it, which then leads to this sort of double meaning on both ends where you have the indigenous naming convention and then you have a more scientific western version of it even though they're the same thing and there actually have been collaborations to um merge those two so that way like you um can document which are which and which are the same so you're not having two separate names talking about the same thing so mm -hmm. with that i guess it's just kind of interesting again where you know, there's a belief, and I don't know how much now, I hope not as mm -hmm. much, but I know for sure in the past there was, there's a belief that just there was no documentation of these things, right? A lot of, mm. a lot of scientists coming out of Europe were obsessed with the idea of like finding the first thing or making sure to document everything for the sake of preservation and whatever, which mm -hmm. isn't inherently a bad idea. But there's this abandonment, it seems, of indigenous peoples to areas knowing about the animals or species or plant species around them, even though they've been living with them and existing with them and using right. them. And, and, you know, so I, I, I guess that's more of the thing that interests me of like mm -hmm. where we can learn from folk history and folk taxonomy a little bit more than when there's this clean mm -hmm. palette, so to speak, going over it, where it has to fit into this like very specific system and yes. it doesn't mean that that's inherently bad, right? Because I don't want to sit here and say, like, yeah. no, Western science is bad. It's awful. And, like, it has, you know, it's been problematic to a certain extent. It's a, it's but a, tool. It's, it's a, it's a tool. tool. It's a tool. It's a tool. Exactly. Just and, like language. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I not I, not to take the, the guns don't kill people uh, stance on this. Um. <laughs> mm, interesting. <laughs> Are you... <laughs> science What's your take on stealing dinosaur bones, doesn't, <laughs> Science doesn't kill people. The thing is, it's always going to be different, and there's always yeah. going to be a bunch of different stories. Generally speaking, with like that age of exploration, there were a lot of... Um, there were a lot of guys that just wanted to go out and name things after themselves. And yeah. we we have the repercussions of those things now, sure. um, especially in paleontology. However, it's not like I it's not like science has not uh, confronted these things in the past. Like you're no longer allowed to name species after yourself. Uh, mm, yeah, you know, and, and that's been true, at least in paleontology for a good while. Um, and, uh, not that that undoes everything of the past, but you know, it's, it, it's, it sets a, it's like, okay, we learned our lesson there. Let's try to curb this. Um, and I can totally understand, like, you know, there's a bunch of stuff named after, like, Alexander von Humboldt. There's a bunch of stuff named after Stellar. Like, you know, there's yeah. Stellar's J, Stellar's Sea Eagle, Stellar's Sea Cow. Now it's yeah. 
Um, Rest in peace. All, yeah, RIP, RIP King. Um, <laughs> God, we missed out on really, really big manatees. I I I, 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 th- I think about that a lot. Mm-hmm. Like you know, Stel- it is my Ro- it might be my Roman Empire. After we talked about it, and you told me what that was, yeah, I, I just haven't let it go. I'm just mm-hmm. like this is just but what, but it's just so like I just can't fathom. World. I know. Mm-hmm. Anyways, continue. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no, it's all good. Yeah, no, I th- I think there's a stellar sea lion too. Um, uh yeah, yeah. So I can understand that. Uh, but also, I think uh, crucially, those are common names, and I think uh, the thing to understand is that common names are going to be there whether or not people like them. And people have always had multiple names for right. animals. I think scientific. I I definitely can understand if there's something incredibly problematic about a scientific name or there's something redundant or there's something that just doesn't make sense, they change it. And, you know, if it's brought up, you know, it get, it, it, it can, there, there are avenues for those things to be changed. The point of scientific nomenclature, binomial nomenclature is just so that people understand what you're talking about when you're writing, uh, when you're writing a paper so that people understand, okay, this refers to one specific species because you can go just to different places in, in, you know, in the United States. And there are many names for different kinds for for the same kind of animal. Um, you know, and, and that's, those are, those are important distinctions. Uh, Th- those are those are important things to understand. People are going to call things what they what they've always called them. I mean, you know, I guess maybe trying to encourage people to say Goliath grouper instead of Jewfish, like maybe what? What? Hold on. What is that actually said? Yeah, Goli- yeah. Go- oh. Goliath grouper uh, are right. It, it, that, it's like but... it's now a very. You have to be in very specific places, but you know, for a long time, that that was referred to as a Jewfish. Um, huh. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure why. Yeah. Um, but you know, uh, <laughs> okay. Great, great fish. You know what? Right. Um, yeah. I yeah. Heard it's tasty. Yeah. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure they were like, yeah, no, really great fish. You know, really. Uh, really respect know, the it, culture and yeah, yeah. you know. Uh, oh my yeah. god. Yeah, that is. Yeah. No, I mean, because like you know, it's like depending on where you are in Florida, it's a moorhen, and then you go somewhere else, and it's called a coot, uh, and then you right. go somewhere else, and it's called a swamp chicken. Like a swamp chicken. Uh, yeah. Like <laughs> there's different. Yeah. I, I think I think people can wrap their heads around, you know, depending on who you are and where you're coming from, there's going to be, uh, you know, uh, different names for the same animal. And this is where the importance of yeah. scientific names come in. Um, yes. And I guess with a lot of this stuff, there also is. Again, I I have no I have no criticism of the of the energy behind it, and I totally would I would like to see those, uh, you know the the traditional and folk uh, nomenclatures like be recognized and work their way into uh, have a place in that scientific nomenclature. Um, you know, there's also something to be said about like does. Do people reflect on the character of these people in just 
conjuring their name when they when they are referring to these animals or to these birds. Uh, I guess there's like, like, um, this is I don't know if this is a great example of of something, um, but there's a lot of phrases that we have turns a phrase that we don't that might have a a an unsavory origin you know oh mm-hmm. and we've we've cleaned them up through the ages to be fairly innocuous uh but when it's revealed to us that that uh phrase has an unsavory origin it's not that i am it's not that i am uh one of these people that's like, well, I'm going to keep saying things in defiance of the woke mob. I'm not that person. <laughs> I hope so, not. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I know. But, but do, it, it, it does raise the question of like, well, if we hadn't, if we hadn't brought it up, would we have even thought about it? Would, would we? Would, yeah. Uh, it. You know, there, there's something to say about people's everyday intention. And I guess I just want to, I want to air that thought uh, for the record. But I am on board with, you know, revisiting some of the names. And, you know, yeah. I just, I just, I want birds to still have dumb names, I guess. Are you, know, you not I, team revised bird names? I I just want to make sure that we're keeping yellow-bellied sapsucker, that we're keeping tits, that we're keeping. That, I know they are so the, dumb. They're so dumb, but it's so. Some of them are so bad, but some of them are. are I want to make. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, this like you know wh- whether or not uh, whatever uh, you know uh, Gertrude von you know Bush tit. Uh, right. thought of thought of uh, thought of the American slaves. Like right. I want to make sure that, you know, we keep some of these good names for these. Yeah. I I am pro dumb bird names. No, it's yeah, I understand. It's complicated. I, um, no, yeah. I guess, I guess that's the thing. Like with, with these, these, these notions of like the extinct languages or languages that are going extinct. And when they die, mm-hmm. like, I really think the lesson here is that, that knowledge it i i i think it matters personally right. i think it's because i'm not gonna sit here and say it does and like you need to believe me because every yeah. not everybody's gonna be on board with this in fact there's a lot of reviews that are not on board with this because there is a belief that you know language whichever language comes out on top should be the one we're just rolling with because again it's the mm. easiest way of communication and yeah, there's some value to that, but I also think that there's a lot that gets sacrificed in between there, and there's a lot of history within words and ways of speaking and folk stories that don't get yeah. translated and don't get written down, and even if they do get written down, unless they're performed in an oral tradition, you know, we're not going to know it. And like one of the mm-hmm. examples given too is like how, and which is something that also just got retranslated. Uh, so hot topic. Uh, the Iliad and the Odyssey, mm. you know, we can read them all we want. And sure, we'll get a good idea of what happened and we'll get the sense of the story. But 
we're not getting the original Greek tradition of having that oral mm. story presented yes. to us with the, yes. you know, all voices, all acting, pacing, you know, all of that matters. Yeah. It, it contributes to the story. It's how we read it, it, it. You know, oh, it's certainly. how we live it. When, so, when we, when we translated the, uh, the Aeneid in AP Latin, a big part of it was understanding, um, uh, how it would have been read aloud. Uh, right. And the, the, the example I always think of is there's this one passage that talks about um, Laocoon and his sons being uh, uh, killed by these snakes. Right. Uh, and the way you are supposed to read it omits a lot of... Um, it, it's tr- it's tough to explain with Latin poetry, but le- and, <laughs> and this is also like ten, 10 years ago in my memory. But like... Right when you have certain words next to each other, the way that you would read them out loud compresses a lot of the consonants. So Mm, you would have S sounds sort of continuing through the entire line as you read. Um, And it would have been understandable, but you would be constantly as you, as you read. And that was a, be, that was a component of the passage where Leocoon is attacked by the snake. Mm. Um, like there are these, there are these things that just there's no other way to, uh, uh, to to know them unless there's the the context of that. Exactly. I guess. I one of one of one thing that that is like my my personal little like, I don't know. I am. I have nothing, I'm going to be very clear also, I have nothing against people that refer to opossums as possums. Uh, But at least in my head, uh, an an, an opossum is the American marsupial. And possums are the little, like, bush-tailed possums in Australia. Oh, and maybe that's just being an you know a childhood animal nerd. And also, if we're, I mean, if we if we want to be, if we want to if we want to get really pedantic about it, opossum's an Algonquin word. Yeah. Uh, and the you know, it, but I think that's also very telling and interesting the way that that word ended up very abbreviated and very popular in Australia. That is kind of odd, ain't it? I. Yeah, well, because like I, I think about this a lot too, and you know, we mm-hmm. talked about we talked about rural PA Pennsylvania mm-hmm. like last mm-hmm. time, but like, yeah, most people who live in the Philadelphia area and then outside of it, like all of those town names and areas are like, uh, I think it's which I, th- I think it's Lenape or it's Iroquois. It's something like it's one of those language okay. groups. Um, like every town name is is mm-hmm. an indigenous word, but they get butchered in pronunciation because everybody's got like a mayor of East town accent. So it's just a very like guttural kind of like in the back of the throat um, and very forward. So it's just interesting that like all that kind of remains like, you know, in Maniunk and in uh, what is it like Poxahawken, like, and again, mm-hmm. I'm also butchering pronunciation, but it's like, it's just always one of these fascinating things in the East where it's like, you have all of these names but no one will talk about where they come from. They were just there. And mm. it's like, oh, okay, that's interesting. And not to turn it into that kind of a direction of language, but names and words of other languages around them also get adapted. Like, yes. 
Like Hacken Hackensack is a is a native word, right? Is it? Or it it com, it come like Hackensack. It, I'm pretty sure it's it it comes from it, it it's it's again it's anglicized, but it right. does. It's it's supposed to mean something else. I think it's like place oh. of uneven ground or something. Gotcha. I mean, I also didn't realize that like helter skelter meant willy nilly. They're essentially the same thing. So <laughs> not that it has did anything you, did, in relation. Did that, but... didn't, that, didn't that come up in like yes. last podcast recently? <laughs> yeah, but it was also one of the things written in here with like a bunch of the phrases that I was just like, wait, the, really? Like it's just because it, it, it sounds so menacing because of the history around it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyways, no, like I guess like one of the things too that, you know, why I feel very passionate about languages and like a lot of these um the smaller ones in particular is because like you know even with italian because technically i should have been taught italian as a child but i I was brought up around it so it's technically my second language because i understand almost all of it i just can't Mm -hmm. really speak it and that was because it wasn't really spoken to me at all it's just when relatives Mm -hmm. came over but even within my own household a lot of the italian words were not italian it was mm-hmm. the Sardinian dialect, and it's the southern Sardinian dialect of Sardo, which is a a a combination of like three languages to form one, which is always so mm-hmm. interesting. Which is also a uh, that all of those dialects on the island are dying out just because there's no native. There's the the, the the native speakers are all older people, and a lot yeah. of the younger people who are being taught Italian are learning Italian, and they're not learning. So you're, Sardinian, you're, so you're, it changes you're, things. You're too, you're too deep in assimilation. You're like you could you could learn Italian, but that's not even necessarily your family's dialect. Well, like I mean, yeah, on my mom's side, on the your dialect, mom's side, yeah. Well, because like on both, and it's, I mean, I'm in I'm in a weird generational point where like on my dad's side, for sure. I guess we'd be in the same position here where it's like so far removed that the parents, my grandparents didn't really even speak Italian or like know a lot of that. They just know words. So once you get to this point in the generational chain, it's like gone. And then on my mom's side, it's so recent because she's from directly from Sardinia and from Italy. But her generation, her and her sisters were like one of that late, like last kind of grouping of people who spoke some of the dialect but not enough to like maintain it. So like some of my aunts and uncles speak it enough and, but like, it's mostly just every kind of, it's like words being brought in to mix with um, Italian to make it kind of like a fun vernacular. But the older generation, like my grandparents would have been, or some other relatives of mine, like that's their first language is the Sardinian dialect. Then the second Mm. would be Italian, but that's not the case anymore. It's a lot more rare. And this is like, something that happens in different this is with irish i know this is scottish too like this happens in a lot of countries where the dominant moves in the secondary language becomes either oppressed or it just becomes not useful and i think i think with the sardinian one it's not like they went they didn't go through oppression it was more just like no well i guess you could argue that with the italians but it just wasn't useful so then when italy is becoming a kingdom dante's italian becomes the italian and everybody else has to just deal with it so Mm -hmm. it's it's different, I think, in European countries than it is in some other ones, for sure. But it's just one of those things that's fascinated me because there's a lot of folklore and history that's like caught up in that language, and there's a mm-hmm. lot of identity that's caught up in cultural ties. And I think for a lot of people, like especially who are related to those groups, 
you know, mm-hmm. any indigenous group for that matter, um, and in some cases too, the European ones, like where I'm at, that you there, there, there's a, there's a relationship there that I feel like is missed if you don't have anyone that's speaking the language to you and teaching it to you, right? Because it's because just like we said in the beginning, it's so hard to learn a language, and mm-hmm. it's one thing to like go back and and be able to have access to like a a language like in my case with Italian to be able to learn that right I can go and Duolingo Mm -hmm. and type it right in and speak with a family member but it's a lot harder if it's a language that nobody is alive to speak or Mm -hmm. nobody really remembers how to speak it Mm. and even if you're interested then what do you do and I think that's where a lot of our awareness to this should go if that makes sense you know what I mean To, 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 to pay more to pay more attention to the importance of language and why it matters mm-hmm. and not so much the utilitarian version of it. I guess that's my takeaway mm. from this and what I wanted to really bring here and talk about was right. that yeah. that importance to it of of what what we can learn from other people's languages and what we can incorporate into our own mm-hmm. way of of preserving these things rather than just sort of letting it letting it die out for the sake of, you know, what's easy or what's useful. Yeah, I mean, you could apply that to so many things. Uh, oh, yeah. It, it feels pretty relevant. But no, thank you for, for bringing this in because it's it's definitely worth talking about. It's um, And it, I think it's another one of these things where we can maybe feel a little helpless, uh, you know, trying to... Try, trying to preserve these things because, like, what are what are we going to do about it? But... I think it's uh, it, it's something that we need to think about with the way that we approach language in our day to day when we approach yeah. what we want to, you know, be spending our time with. And maybe there's not anything that we can do as individuals to to help, you know, the the language of these reindeer herders or right. the Sardinians, but they're, you know, just the the time that we can find in our busy lives to set aside and try to think about, well, should I, does everything need to be in one language? Can I push myself to think beyond the confines of my own language? Even if that language isn't, you know, some, some dominant language, even if it isn't, you know, Mm -hmm. just English or, you know, Chinese or it's, it's, it's about thinking of the world as multiplicity that yeah. there's never going to be one answer to anything. It's always going to come from uh, I- employing different ways of thinking and interacting uh, yeah. that, that we, that we find uh, that we might find some greater truth than we can from any one perspective. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. Hmm. Oh, I'm glad. I, I thought, oh man, I thought I thought you were gonna hate that. I thought we're just gonna start arguing more. No, I'd be like, well, here's why you're wrong, actually. No, 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 no. <laughs> we no. need to be we need to establish academies like the French to figure out whether or not we approve new words. Oh my god. Yeah. It's I don't know, man. It's crazy. Yeah, like mm-hmm. I, I just I, I, I think even just thinking about it and talking to people about that is 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 something though right because like mm-hmm. unless you're a trained linguist or somebody who's like 
involved in that language it's going to be really hard to like get out there and preserve it and oftentimes i feel yeah. like there could be a lot more fumbling than is necessary but mm-hmm. it's it's i think it's just also just about the, the changing of the way of thinking that like realizing that like okay like english is spoken around the world but there's different types mm-hmm. of english spoken around the world and there's different mm-hmm. unique properties there that affect the way that we are thinking and changing and and and, and yeah. condensing information like Already moving into the sphere of like how we recognize the use of language, I think will be useful. I think it'll also be useful in classrooms settings yeah. and how people converse with their students. I think it'll be useful in terms of understanding ways to communicate things through literature, through books. Um, obviously, there has to be separations like we talked about with like bureaucracy and, you know, when it comes, which, uh, you know, uh, but bureaucracy and also uh, scientific papers and things like that, like that is its own type of language, but then we can have like um, Mm. kind of sub series of that. I love like, you ever see those like videos of, I think it's like a TikTok video of the guy, there's this guy, he does like Roadman science. So he like will break Mm. down these like really complex chemistry, like, things that are happening yeah. by mixing metals but he's speaking in like a roadman <laughs> accent and it's great and uh, that see that's how i understand math i have to understand yeah. it in a british accent i don't speak so in a very right. specific south London well i'm one, but. i'm going from now on i'm to 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 fit this multilingual flair right into my everyday life when i'm coming and going i'm going to start saying chow loha because it means both hello and goodbye <laughs> chow loha that's oh my gosh Oh man, that's that's very funny. I mean, you can you could start saying "ciao," but I have a feeling that like "ciao" is the aloha of Italy. It's both hello and goodbye. It's both hello and goodbye. You're not. It's not incorrect. You know, were you? We were there when that one scholar was talking to us about the origins of "ciao," though. Yeah. Do you well, don't, don't. Hey, don't. Don't cancel Chow. I'm not gonna cancel it. Don't, no. Don't say, yeah. It was just no, so that, funny. that was that, that was very interesting. It is. It's because, incredibly interesting. Yeah. 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 I mean, we should probably should, explain should, it. But yeah, we should yeah. say Chow. It's also really hard to explain entirely because it also has to do with a very specific uh, pronounce old old yeah, pronunciation. Exactly. But it it essentially meant. Uh, because it's to this day, it is somewhat, it is more casual. It is not, it is a more casual greeting in Italy, uh, but it is linguistically derived from slave. Right. And it is more of meant like, I'm a slave to you. Like I will do, I will do anything for you. Like, yeah. That, that, that was how it was explained to us. Right. Uh, so, and, you, you know, that we could at least say had different connotations once upon a time. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's been a long while, so it's changed. But that's the thing. Yeah, it's but, like- but it, it does. It does derive. Uh, if, and you can hear it more in certain Italian accents. And also it's, it's yeah. spelled differently. Too, it is. So yeah. It. But <laughs> but apparently that is the origin of it. Well, even um, Dula you know, uh, hmm. means slave. Does it? Uh, yeah. Oh. Um, but I don't know if anyone's, but doula sounds so much more fun than midwife. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I guess that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel I, you know, it just, it goes to show you, I lang, language is fluid. We, it's, when we, yeah. when we try to, when we try to pin one thing on it, you know, people are going to, People are always going to, 
you know, uh, it's always going to change. Just just don't say the N word. And I think yeah. you're good. Yeah. Do yeah. not say that. Yeah. 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 Um, la- language is fluid and flexible and constantly changing, but just don't. There's certain things don't, we don't, just don't say. Don't, yeah. don't mean, don't, don't intentionally try to hurt people, I guess. I don't think you have to add the I guess. I think that's a fair I think that's a fair <laughs> statement. Like no, maybe don't be awful. Um have you ever thought about not being awful? Hmm. Putin, stop it. Stop it. Yeah. Netanyahu, stop, stop. it. <laughs> oh my god. It's I, yeah, god. No. Just just knock it off. Just knock it off. Knock it off. Um. Anyways, be nice to each other out there. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Well, thank well, you again, everybody. Thank, thank you, you Zantu, for for helping me with this and having a nice conversation about it. I know it's incredibly complicated, but it just mm-hmm. fascinates me so much. Mm-hmm. No, same, same. I'm glad. Uh, this is this is something fun too because I I enjoy hearing about this stuff, but then I get to I I get to just be like, huh, interesting. Yeah, okay, right. I'm gonna, say, I'm gonna say something dumb now. <laughs> No. Um, but yeah, um, well, I believe should we uh, should we drive on over to uh, stick it or ticket? I think we should. All right, all right, pulling right up. What uh, what have you got? Okay, I think I got two heat. Oh no, I got one one uh, large kind of scene going on. Mm. So this was a Bigfoot. So we're keeping in theme. It was okay, a, nice. a Bigfoot with cowboy boots. Nice. And it said in like a bubble, I believe, above it. Cowtown Rodeo. <laughs> and I didn't, I mean, maybe that's a thing, <laughs> that's, but it was just very, it was like, it was just bizarre because I was like, what do these have to do with each other? Because <laughs> it's like, it's Bigfoot, but then, you know, he's got his cowboy boots on, he's ready to ride, which also, like, man, he's got to be like, how do you even make boots for him? Um, I don't know. It was just really bizarre. So mm-hmm. how about you? What do you have? Oh, man. I saw, I've seen a lot of good ones recently. Ah. Um, okay, so this was on the uh, back of a mud flap for a truck. Okay. It said, if you can read this, leave room for Jesus. Nice, nice. Um, I saw one in New York that said, I saw a bunch of good ones in New York. Mm. One said, I break for ghosts. <laughs> uh, another said, uh, um, domestic psychedelia. Okay. One uh, another one. Uh, do n- do not touch this vehicle unless you are in the nude. Also weird. Maybe and it's then, a nudist. And then Alex G for president, of course. Yeah, I love that. I need that mm-hmm. sticker. Mm-hmm. Oh man! Mm-hmm. Wow. We had some great bumper stickers. That is very good. That's a good series of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, um, let's see. Should we let's go on to uh, uncanny recommendations? Um, yeah, okay. Uh, I guess on my end here, uh, what do I want to recommend? Well, I think I, I would recommend this book, though, When Languages Die by K. David Harrison. I mean, like I said, it's a bit older, so it's got some nuance that has to be taken to it, but I do think it's worth reading for sure, just mm. especially if you don't know much about the languages part here. I think it's incredibly interesting. Um, I'm still in the middle of reading The Jakarta Method uh, by Vincent Bevins, which I would also recommend in terms of mm-hmm. books. Uh, let's see. I'm trying to think of any, like, recently some shows I've been watching. Um, I would recommend watching um, 
Also, Shorzy, the uh, Hulu show that's a spinoff. It's also by Jared Kesso, but it's a spinoff of uh, the Letterkenny character played by Jared <laughs> Kesso, who also plays Wayne, but they can never show his face in Letterkenny. But now we actually get to see it. And it's because it's just him. Uh, it's very <laughs> funny. I love it. It's incredibly Canadian, but also just like it reminds me of when I played hockey in a past life. And um, because when I was little, that's the sport I used to play, just not ice hockey. So it's just very funny, even if you don't like sports. Um, and, uh, yeah, I would say, I'd say that's pretty much what I wanted to recommend. I've been trying to like, you know, find some time to, to watch some new things and get going on that. But, uh, how about you, Zan? What do you want to recommend? Right on, right on. No, it sounds good. Um, I, uh, watch, there'll probably be more out by the time I guess people are hearing this, but I, I watched the first episode of The Curse, mm, uh, yeah. the new Nathan Fielder, uh, show and, Oh man, just like don't it's good, but man oh man, like that is a new level of cringe, I guess for me. Like I don't I don't like I, I it's right on the border of what I will accept of um like how uncomfortable I want to be made by something. Right. Okay. Uh, and cuz I I have a limit that's maybe I don't know. It just like I I I get like very I get very uncomfortable uh like watching stuff like that. But it okay. is it is very interesting. It's very topical, very relevant. Um it's really interesting getting to see, you know, Nathan Fielder like, you know, I understand he plays a character for his other shows, but like this is this is a new gear of acting, which is really great for him and it mm. it feels like it could turn into. I'm quoting a, a, a another critic, but they had said uh, that it feels like it could turn into a horror movie at any time, and I agree with that. Huh. Uh, so uh, proceed with caution, but I do recommend the curse. And also, you know, it's fascinating seeing Emma Stone be someone who's unlikable, uh, right? Because she's great, you know, and. From everything I understand, she's supposed to be a nice person, but yeah, uh, man, you get to see different side of Emma Stone as well. Oh man! Um, as far as uh, music goes, um, I picked up uh, this record kind of uh, on a whim in a in a record store, uh, and actually really ended up uh, enjoying it. Some kind of fun uh, instrumental uh, organ and guitar jazz, uh, kind of mid sixties. Uh, called the album's called Do It Now by Brother Jack McDuff. Um, and I'd recommend that. I also, uh, um, I was in New York to see, uh, like I said, uh, S.G. Goodman. S.G. Goodman. Right. She's great. She is S.G. Goodman. And right. She is great. Also, <laughs> um, Why Bonnie? You might know their mm. song 90 in November. Uh, and I would actually recommend that whole album because after we saw them in concert, I listened to the whole album and was like, oh, wow, this is actually pretty good. Oh, nice. Um, so, yeah, also shout them out as well. Sweet. Yeah. Cool. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so what have you got going on outside the museum, Joe? Uh, I don't got too much going on at the moment. Applying some some exhibitions, trying to start making some more work. Uh, so mm-hmm. I'm sure I'll have stuff to show eventually. But I guess really in the meantime, you can stream my music uh, by my name, Joe Samino. Uh, but I have two albums out 
of course you can listen to but also stream our music Zan and I's but yes. Ghost Modern uh, Jazz Club is out and you should totally listen to it and recommend it to all your friends because mm-hmm. it's uh, you know it's a solid album we both like it people have been liking it check mm-hmm. it out if you can you know it's yeah. good driving music uh, you can also listen to it in uh, I don't know when you do random chores after you're practicing your language courses you can you know listen to it or something yeah yeah <laughs> i don't know you can yeah. now now available on deezer <laughs> uh yes yeah. uh go check out jazz club by ghost modern yes. the acclaimed mm. uh groundbreaking um right. <laughs> uh multifaceted uh debut album by ghost modern yes which is yes us. That is us. Absolutely. I'm also sort of in a boat. I'm in between some new projects and stuff. Uh, but um, as always, you can check out my art uh, on my Instagram or on my website, uh, zampeters.com. Um, I just wrapped up doing some uh, demos at my old high school, which was really fun. Um, hopefully do some more of those, which is pretty cool. Um, get to pass it on to the next generation. Yeah. Inspiring the youth. I guess I should mention that Mothman is mm. back together after a very long hiatus. Um, and hopefully we'll be back to playing some more shows uh, in uh, the Tampa Bay area. So keep your eye on the sky mm. for the Mothman. <laughs> the Florida Mothman. It's a new variant. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking because there technically already is like a band called Mothman. I was wondering if we should be like the Skyway Mothman. You know, because that's because that's that's, fun. Because that's like our big local bridge. Yeah, you could be that. You could also be. I mean, maybe Chicago Mothman's not taken yet, or Mm. you could take Tampa Moth. Yeah, I think Skyway Mothman. That's actually kind of cool. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, like Mothman two seventy five for the two seventy five going across Tampa Bay. Yeah, there you go. Um, You could be Mothman and the bridges, or Mm. something. I don't know. Moth Zan, yeah, you could be really. Uh, yeah. You could take you could take that personality to a whole new level and just maim it. Oh up my yourself. god, yeah, yeah. Well, actually, uh, I actually have to get going because mm, not only yeah. do I teach tonight, but yes. I actually have a Mothman show. Whoa, tonight. you're booked and busy, man. Oh yeah, booked yeah. But I always make time for the Uncanny County Museum. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. Well, well, if you want to visit the museum after hours, we are at Uncanny County Museum on Instagram. Uh, you can find me at Xanosaurus on Instagram. You can find me at Just Me No Art on Instagram. Email us if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or just want to say hey at uh, uncannycountymuseum at gmail.com. From the Uncanny County Museum, I have been Zan Peters. And I've been Just Me Ciao, Aloha. Ciao for now.